God and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We bless you as the one who has sanctified us by this word, which is true. We pray that you would now sweeten your word in our hearts and in our minds, that together we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling that you have given to us and that we might honor you more along the path of life. Praying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, be seated, please. Advent season certainly is a time of hope, and hope has a twin. I think the twin of hope is confidence. It's hard to imagine being hopeful without at the same time being confident, and if one is confident, one certainly has hope about where you're moving in the future. Now, if you think for a moment, for example, about our economy if any of you watched the stock market over the last week, uh, or if you think about the moral direction of our culture, or if you think about global events, events throughout the world, as you look at any of these particular facets of our circumstances, there's probably not a whole lot of reason for having a whole lot of hope uh, or confidence in terms of where we're moving as a people. So the question is, is it possible at the end of 2014, when we're in Advent, and as we're about to move into a new year, 2015, is it possible to move forward with hope? Can Advent give us a sense of hope? Is it possible for us to move forward with confidence? And the answer is yes. And the answer is found in just two words. And those two words are the title of my sermon this morning. And that is my cup. My cup. We're looking at how hope and confidence are found in just those two words, my cup. Now, As I said, this sermon's a little bit different because I'm really not even preaching on two verses. I'm really just preaching on two words as those two words are found in two different verses. So we need a little bit more of an introduction before we actually start the sermon proper. Hebrew authors have a a wonderful way, whether they're poets or whether they're writing stories, they have a wonderful way of constructing their literature. A number of ways, but one in particular. Think of a, a picture. Often a picture is, has a frame around it, yes? And so sometimes a Hebrew poet or composer will have something at the beginning and something at the end. And, and there's a matching of these outside elements, Forms a frame. 
Now, sometimes you have pictures in your home, and they not only have a frame, but they have a mat, right? So you can think of a mat kind of as an inner ring, an inner circle. And so sometimes Hebrew composers of literature will not only have matching elements on the outside, but then they'll match some elements on the inside. And of course, what we're really interested in is the picture itself, which is located right in the center. Now, I use this as kind of a a frame and a mat and a picture, just to kind of give you an idea of the way Hebrew authors often construct literature. And they, they do this for a number of reasons, and one we're going to look at, <coughs> excuse me, one we're going to look at this morning. But let's not think that they just do it that simply, like two outer, two inner, and a picture. Sometimes they do it in great detail. If we were to use labels, we could label these outside elements A, and then the inside element B, and then the inner part C. Sometimes they'll like run through the entire alphabet. I'll give you an example. The whole flood story is arranged this way. And as, the, as we're going up like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, the waters are getting higher and higher. And then after the turning point in the story, we reverse and go back down. And so the outside elements match, and then these match, and 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 these match. It's really intricate. But do you know what is right at the very turning point of the story? These words, God remembered Noah. The waters are getting higher and higher and higher. God remembered Noah. And the waters go down, down, down. See, one of the reasons why the author constructed the story that way is so that you wouldn't miss the main point of the story. The main point is how God stepped in and God remembered Noah. Well, that being said... Let me make another comment. The book of Psalms is not a random collection of prayers and praises. Now, we tend to use it that way. Let's just presume there are two kinds of psalms. There are happy psalms, and there are sad psalms. Here's how we tend to use the book of Psalms. When we're happy, we dip in and we pull out a happy psalm. When we're sad, we dip in and we pull out a sad psalm. That's fine. I still use the book of Psalms that way. You're going to continue to use the book of Psalms that way. But there's another perspective. We all know that, for example, the Gospel of Mark or the book of Romans or Ephesians, those chapters are not random, right? Those chapters are in a purposeful order. And the same thing is true of the book of Psalms. The Holy Spirit did not inspire 150 people to write individual Psalms and then tell somebody else to put them on Uh, three-by-five cards and to shuffle them and say, there's your book of Psalms. The order in the book of Psalms is as purposeful as the order in any other book of the Bible. Now, not only is the whole book of Psalms well orchestrated, but there are actually kind of subsections in the book of Psalms that are highly organized. And that's where we're coming There's a group of psalms starting in 15 and ending in 24. Psalms 15 and 24. And they have this kind of picture-like arrangement based on the type of psalm they are. For example, in music. I was listening to Christmas uh, music. Uh, All Christmas music can fit into a category, right? We call Christmas music. But there's a difference between Handel's Messiah and country Christmas carols, right? 
different kinds of music. And so just like there's blues and jazz and there's hip-hop and there's pop and there's country and there's classical, there are different kinds of psalms in the same way. And so Psalm 15 and Psalm 24, these are both entrance liturgies. They were psalms that would have been used when people were making procession up to the Temple Mount. They all have language like, who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place. So those are the two that match on the outside. Now, Psalm 16 and Psalm 23, they're the next two in, and these are both psalms of confidence. Entrance liturgy, confidence. Then we go to Psalm 17, and it's matched Psalm 22. These are both psalms of lamentation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then inside that, we have uh, Psalm 18, and then a pair of psalms, 20 and 21. These are both royal psalms that celebrate the goodness of God in his kingship and the kingship of the human king. And then right in the center is that well-known Psalm 19 that celebrates the glory of God revealed in creation and the glory of God revealed in the word. So all I'm saying is that these psalms are beautifully arranged with one of these patterns. But that's not really what I'm interested in. I'm interested in just one detail to show you how finely tuned this kind of orchestration of the Bible can be. And if God's the author of it, ultimately, we shouldn't be surprised to find this kind of high organization in the text. Remember those two words that I mentioned at the beginning? What are they? My cup. Okay, got to learn a little Hebrew here. The Hebrew word for cup is kos, and the way you say my cup is just by putting an E on the end of it. So everybody say kosi. That's Hebrew for my cup. Now, that, that little phrase, kosi in Hebrew, it only occurs two places in the whole Hebrew Bible. Only two. Psalm 16, verse 5, and Psalm 23, verse 5. And I know you've remembered all the details that I have given you this morning so far. And so you will remember that Psalm 16 and Psalm 23 are part of our matching construction, right? They're both psalms of confidence, psalms of trust. Isn't it accidental that the phrase kosi only occurs twice in the whole Hebrew Bible and it just happens to occur in Psalm 16 and Psalm 23, which just happen to be matching psalms in this picture-like construction, Psalms 15 through 24. Well, I wonder if God did that for a reason. I wonder if those two occurrences of co-see my cup are placed in these matching positions because God wants us to reflect on those two words in their matching positions. So I really just want to do two things. Now as we get to the sermon, I don't usually give introductions that are quite that long and detailed, but I think it's helpful for you to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Otherwise, it might just seem random, like we think the book of Psalms is random. Well, hopefully you see that the Psalms aren't random, and hopefully this sermon isn't random either. Okay, I just want to look, first of all, at my cup in Psalm 16, verse 5. 
and my cup in Psalm 23. So I just have two points, one from each of those verses. And you'll notice 16, 5, 23, 5, God, God even made it easy for us. They're both first five in the, I don't think there's anything to that, but who knows, maybe there is, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. So what I want to do first of all is look at Psalm 16, 5. And here's my first point. The Lord is my cup. Because that's what the text says. Let's look at Psalm 16 and verse 5. You'll notice that it says, Lord, it's a prayer to God, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. There's our occurrence. Lord, you are my cup. That is my first point. Now, two things here. The Bible is full of images. Now, God says you're not allowed to make an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below for the purpose of worshiping those images. No graven images. But God has never... uh, He has never said you're not allowed to use word images. The Bible's full of word images. The Lord is my shepherd. God uses, Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Word images are used throughout the Bible, both to describe God and describe us. And in in a similar way, cup is used in a number of different ways in the Bible. Cup is an image. Uh, For example... The Bible speaks of the cup of blessing. The cup of blessing. Uh, Look at Psalm 116, verse 13. Psalm 116, verse 13. The psalmist says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Now, this is not a literal cup. This is a picture. The cup is a picture of blessing. The cup is a picture of salvation. Uh, Just think of Thanksgiving recently passed, Christmas coming. Uh, Think of how often you'll sit down to a meal, and everyone in our culture, it's not so much a cup as it is a glass, Uh, but everyone will have a glass poured, and somebody will lift their glass, and everybody will lift their glass, and they'll say something like cheers, or uh, that cup is a symbol of blessing and of abundance. The Bible uses cup in just that way. Cup is is used as a symbol of blessing. But there's a dark side. Cup is used in another way. Cup is used in an image of the cup of wrath. Look at Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 17. Isaiah 51, 17. The prophet says, Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem, You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. You who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes people stagger. And here the the images of somebody who's drunk. Somebody who is so drunk that they can't even walk straight. And that image is used of what someone would be like who is under the judgment of God. 
under the wrath of God. They have drunk the cup of God's wrath. Isn't it interesting that cup can either be an image of God's blessing or God's judgment? The cup can be used in both ways. Well, I think it's obvious that when we look at our psalm and when our psalm is celebrating the fact that the Lord is our cup, it's not that he's our cup of wrath, it's that he's our cup of blessing. Now, what's interesting is that cup as an image of blessing is used in a special way in our psalm. Notice that the psalmist does not say, Lord, you give me my cup. You give me blessing. You give me abundance. You give me life. He doesn't say, Lord, you give me a cup of blessing. He says, Lord, you are my cup. Not something other than the Lord, but the Lord himself. In in one of the, I think in in the, confession that we used. It had this lovely phrase. I think the phrase was gift of gifts. Did you catch that? That God himself is the gift of gifts. Uh, I'm turning 60 this month and my best friend was in town yesterday and two of my sons live in town and so we went golfing as just part of celebrating my 60th birthday. And um, Oh, you know, like all amateur golfers, we all hit some really good shots, and then we all hit some, well, let's just say not-so-good shots. But, you know, that's not what the day was about for me. I did win, by the way. (laughs) But there's an asterisk by my win. Uh, On the fifth hole on the back nine, I realized that I had lost my wallet. So it took me three holes to put a hold on my debit card and my credit card. So they were gracious, and they gave me bogeys on those three holes. Uh, But even without those, I probably still would have come out ahead. But that's not what the day was about. The day was about presence. Not with a T, but with a C-E-S. Being in the presence of two of my sons and my best friend. That's the gift. This text says not that the Lord's going to give you this or give you that. It it says he is that. The Lord is your cup. He is the source of all blessing. Come thou fount of every blessing. It's kind of like, you know... Give a, teach a man to, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish. It's not what God gives you. It's who God is. Because if you have God and you're in his presence, you have everything else, right? Didn't Jesus say, seek first the kingdom and all of these other things inevitably will be added to you. And that's why the psalmist says in 16.2, apart from you, I have no good thing. You're my cup. And so Advent invites us to spend time reflecting, as we've already done in this worship service, on the Lord himself and our relationship with him 
and deepening that relationship, growing in our appreciation of that relationship, realizing that if we have him, we have absolutely everything that we need for life and godliness. And because the Lord is your cup, you can have great confidence. That's why, for example, in a verse uh, in Psalm 16:8 and in following verses, you get all of this language of the psalmist having so much confidence in moving forward in his world. And how can he have so much confidence? He can have that confidence because, well, not because of what he sees in his circumstances. That changes ever so much. Oh, somebody's been married 70 years. I have a hunch you've seen a lot of change in the circumstances of your lives over those 70 years, haven't you? Now, I don't know you well. I know you to chat with you. I sure appreciate you. And I, but I do know that you've had some hard times. You've had some really good times. You've had times when your circumstances were just wonderful, like hitting those good shots on the golf course. And you've had times when those circumstances were not so good either. But, you know, through all of that, the reason why you're here, you're a testimony. You're a testimony to the fact that the Lord was there through it all. You see? Not what's going on externally, but who's there internally. Isn't that beautiful? See, the Lord is your cup. And it is so easy, isn't it? For us to get focused on all the good things that God does. And they are good and I love them all and I want them all and I enjoy them all. But we've got to keep keep our eyes focused on something deeper, something more profound. And that is that you have the Lord in your life. And when the Lord is your cup, you can have great confidence and hope in moving forward. Now let's go to our second text, our second point. My first point... The Lord is my cup. My second point, my cup overflows. Now, my cup overflowing, Psalm 23, 5, my cup overflows. My cup overflowing presupposes the necessities of life that God has given you, right? Your cup can't overflow if there's nothing in the bottom. The bottom has got to be filled up. The middle has got to be filled up. The top has got to be filled up. Those are all the necessities of life. And that's why I wanted to read the whole of Psalm 23, because at the beginning, it talks about how God provides you with all the basic necessities of life. Food and rest and renewal and guidance and purpose and comfort. All those basic things that we need uh, in life. The Lord has provided you with all the necessities of life. But the psalm does go on in verses 5 and 6, not to talk about necessities, but to talk about abundance, uh, overflow. My cup overflowing. It not only presumes that God is meeting the basic needs, but it's a symbol of an abundance of life that the Lord gives to us. Look at some of the surrounding images. Spread a table before me. I think of Thanksgiving, right? What a beautiful time Thanksgiving is, as that spread table reminds us of how God provides so abundantly. Uh, All the mashed potatoes you want, and then there's sweet potatoes. And I loved my mother-in-law's sweet potatoes, not because I like sweet potatoes so much, but they're a good carrier of brown sugar and marshmallows. (laughs) 
It's kind of like, who would ever eat popcorn if you couldn't put butter and, sh- and salt on it? Uh, popcorn's an excuse for eating butter and salt. You see, so that's that beautiful, big spread table, two kinds of salads, three kinds of pies, two, both ham or turkey. Yes, I will take both of them. Just that picture of abundance, that, that's the psalm. You spread a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. We talked last week, was it, about the anointing? Or is that a, I, I get lost. A couple weeks ago, you know, with the, the, the oil coming down on the head, down on the beard. This is not that oil, by the way. This is a different oil. This is the oil of hospitality. This is kind of what we would do in our culture if someone comes to your house for Thanksgiving and you say, oh, it's been a long ride. Would you like to go to the restroom and freshen up before you? That's the anointing in this psalm. God anoints our head with oil. His goodness and mercy are pursuing us. We're dwelling in his presence. And in the middle, we get these words, my cup overflows. Now, I know that you think there are two kinds of people in life. As my one son would say, there are, two, there are three kinds of people in life, those who can count and those who can't. But uh, you know that you'll get that in a minute. Or if you, there, there are two kinds of people in right, life, right? Those who see the cup as half and those who see the cup as half. Well, I'm introducing you to a third kind this morning. I don't either see the cup as half full or half empty. What's the psalm say? My cup overflows. My cup is neither half empty nor is my cup half full. My cup overflows. Now, how can I be so confident? It is not because I can look at my circumstances and see overflowing in every area of my life. If that were the basis, none of us would be able to say, my cup overflows. We might say, well, it overflows here, it's kind of full here, it's pretty empty here. That's the way all of our lives are in one way or another. Of course, when we look at other people, we don't see that, do we? When we look at other people, we say, man, their cup is really overflowing. And that's only because we really don't know what's going on. Uh, If if if. We knew them as they know them. And if they knew us as we know us, we'd be able to say, yeah, there are some overflowing circumstances. There are some full circumstances. There are some empty parts as well. And so how can we say my cup overflows? Well, we walk by and not by. We walk by faith in the fact that the Lord is my cup. And since the Lord is my cup, how is it not possible that my cup overflows. If the Lord is my cup, it is inevitable that my cup has to be overflowing because look at who he is. Who is God? Just think of creation. Think of that Genesis account. What did God say? Did he say, let there be one or two fish? One or two birds? What did he say? Be fruitful and multiply, let the sea swarm with living creatures. Just look around the room. I mean, I don't know what, there are 150, 200 people here. I don't know, I'm not real good with math. There's not, there's not a face that's identical in this small room. Why did God make such variety of human faces and body shapes Why are there so many different kinds of cats and dogs? Why are there billions of stars? 
because the heavens declare the glory of God. It's all a revelation to us of who God is. God is a God of abundance. Just look at the abundance that is all throughout creation. It's there to tell us something of who God is. He's a God of great abundance. And because the Lord is my cup, my cup has to overflow because of who he is. See, not not so much because of what I see in my circumstances at at any moment. That goes up and down throughout life, doesn't it? But what doesn't go up and down is the character of God, who he is. And since the Lord is your cup, you can move forward with hope and with confidence. You can say, my cup overflows. And if in a particular area it's not overflowing right now, it's inevitable that one day, sooner or later, it's going to overflow. It has to overflow. Why? Because the Lord is my cup. Now, I'm not typically a quoter, as you know, when I preach sermons. I don't read long quotations from people, but I'm going to read you at least a short one. It's a, a comment that John Calvin, kind of our patron saint, I know we don't have saints, but like he's one of them. Uh, John Calvin said this about my cup overflowing in his commentary on Psalm 23. Now, this exuberant, don't you love that word? This exuberant store of oil. And also this overflowing cup ought to be explained as denoting the abundance which goes beyond the mere supply of the common necessities of life. Aren't we grateful that God provides us with the necessities? Aren't we grateful that he promises that our cup overflows? which goes beyond the mere necessities. And so we can move forward with great confidence. There are, there are three confident statements in Psalm 23. One in the beginning, one in the middle, one in the end. The beginning, I will lack nothing. The middle, I will not fear. The end. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because you are confident of being in the presence of God, you can say, I'm moving forward, no fear. I'm moving forward, confident that I will lack nothing that I need for life and godliness. And not only will God give me the necessities, but in his time and in his good providence, he will provide me with, what's Calvin say, this exuberant store of oil, this overflowing cup, living with confidence. Because the Lord is your cup, you can say, my cup overflows. Whether you can see it in your circumstances or not, the Bible invites you to walk by faith and not by sight. Now let's bring this to a conclusion, and at the same time, let's enter into our celebration of the Lord's Supper. Uh, I enjoy the ride down. It's like an hour and 45 minutes. It's a, it's a time when sometimes as I'm driving down, I don't think about anything. And sometimes I listen to music. And I found out this morning that sometimes without, with, when I'm listening to music, I'm not thinking about anything. And so I went right past the 512. Um, and I saw this sign for Lake Wales and Vero. And I said, I've never seen that sign before. And I said, I think I better get off the highway. And so I, I just, 
I was listening to music, but I, my mind was not really engaged in where I was or where I was going, and I went right by it. It only cost me probably another 15 minutes or so, and I had left early, so it all worked out well. Um, but I, I was listening to one of my favorite uh, Christmas albums. And I know this might sound strange, but the singer of the Christmas album is Barbara Streisand. And uh, kind of like in the book of uh, Ezra Nehemiah, God appointed Cyrus, king of Persia, inspired him in a very special way to do something very special, uh, even though he was Cyrus, king of Persia, not a king of Israel. And, and with a little eye, God really has I- inspired. He, he gifted Barbara Streisand with this most marvelous voice. And he in- inspired this Jewish woman to, to, to create a Christmas album of Christian music, something for which she got in a lot of hot water uh, back in the day in the Jewish community. But there's this one beautiful song on there that she's singing. And uh, maybe you know it. It's not a real well-known Christmas song. I wonder as I wander out under the sky why Jesus the baby did come for to die. I wonder. I wonder if it has anything to do with those two words, my cup. Why did Jesus come to die? Or to put it another way, how is it possible that you and I, who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, how is it possible that we can say, the Lord is my cup, and therefore my cup runs over? When the wage of sin is death, the absence of the presence of God, and not the presence of God itself. Well, it's because of that other cup that we mentioned way back in the beginning. Remember that cup of wrath? Jesus drank the cup of wrath for us. Let's look for a moment at the New Testament, Mark chapter 14 and verse 36. Mark 14, 36. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying as he's about to be betrayed. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. See, Jesus knew what that cup was. He knew it wasn't the cup of blessing. He would not have said, take this cup of blessing from me. He knew that it was the cup of wrath. And he knew that he had to, in the words of Isaiah, he had to drink that goblet to the bitter dregs. Yet, what did he say? Not not what I want, but what you want. See, Jesus drank that cup of wrath so that you can drink the cup of blessing. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus came for to die. He lived a life of perfect righteousness in your place. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty for all of your sins. He died on the cross drinking that cup of wrath so that you would never ever have to taste a drop of it. But you could just delight in and enjoy the cup of blessing. And so as we celebrate the supper, 
both the bread and the cup, but in particular as we drink the cup, we are tasting, we are seeing, we are holding God's promise in our hand. We are, we are hearing Him through these symbols say to us, I am your cup. It's not about anything else. It's about you and me. It's about us as the body of Christ, communing with and fellowshipping with God. Oh, and he also says, because I am your cup, your cup overflows. Walk by faith and not by sight. Because Jesus drank the cup of wrath, we can say, the Lord is my cup. My cup overflows. Because we can say the Lord is my cup, my cup overflows. We can really bask in the hope and the confidence that Advent brings. Because that haunting question, I wonder as I wander out under the sky why Jesus the baby did come for to die. We know the answer. He came so that your cup can overflow. Let's pray. Father, we bless you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and which is a light to our path. We pray that you would write this word on our hearts, that through it we might grow in grace and in our knowledge of you and that we might experience more of who you are as our cup and more of that overflowing cup that you promise in your word. Praying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as we continue reflecting on the Lord's Supper, since I did kind of one verse out of one psalm and one verse out of another psalm, our theme is kind of like one 5, 6, 70. Remember those. And remember one. One verse from 16, one verse from 23, and one verse from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, where the Apostle Paul says, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body? Of Christ. We celebrate this wonderful meal. It's a meal for the body of Christ. And so, if you're a member of the body of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the elders invite you to come and to share in this meal together. It's not our meal, it's His meal. He's the host. We're just here speaking on His behalf. And in particular, as we drink that cup, He invites us to experience in a fresh and in a profound way the truth that he is our cup and to hear him encouraging us that we are the people of the overflowing cup as a result. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these elements, for this bread and this cup. We thank you for all that they are pictures of for us to strengthen our faith to encourage us in terms of who you as our God and who we are as your people. 
And we pray that you would now take these ordinary elements and that you would use them in an extraordinary way to strengthen our faith in you, uh, to fill us with joy and peace and in particular hope and confidence that we might serve you well in this Advent season, praying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, during the supper, the Lord Jesus took bread and he gave thanks and he blessed it as we have done in his name. And he said, this bread is a, it's a picture of my body that was broken for you. It's a reminder that when I was praying to my father and I said to him, uh, if there's any way for this wrathful experience to pass from me, I'm all for that. Nevertheless, what I really want is your will. And the father said, this is my will. And he said, I'm willing. I'm willing to endure the wrath so that you can enjoy the blessing in this life and in the life to come. And so, smell it, feel it, taste it, see it, God's promise to you.
Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Feast in your hearts by faith. After the supper, Jesus took the cup and blessed it, as we have done in his name. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all of it.
interesting what uh, people do at a meal when they lift a cup. Uh, if you're feeling kind of European, you might say, salute. Uh, if you're Hungarian, you say, Egishegedre. If you're Jewish, you say, Lachayim. Well, we're free to say all sorts of different things at different times in different places. But this morning, what we say is, the Lord is my cup. My cup overflows. Everybody say, the Lord is my cup. My cup overflows. Feast in your hearts by faith. Thank you for all of your good gifts. Especially we thank you that you are the gift of gifts. And in giving us yourself, you give us all things for life and for godliness. This morning we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the gospel, not only in your word, but also in these symbols of the bread and the cup. We pray that you would seal them to our hearts for our good and for your glory, now and forevermore. Praying in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.